Welcome to the inaugural episode of the podcast, Richard is Busy. I am talking to Richard Tonietti, who is an internationally acclaimed Australian violinist, composer, arranger, director, conductor. He has been the artistic director and lead violinist of the Australian Chamber Orchestra for the past 30 years. He's also an avid surfer and a skier. His wide range of interests have resulted in numerous multimedia projects, to name a few, The Reef, The Crowd, Musica Surfica, which is an award-winning documentary film about classical music and finless surfing. And most recently, he collaborated with director Jennifer Piedem and Stranger Than Fiction Films to create the film Mountain for the ACO. Richard was also the co-composer of the score for Peter Weir's 2003 film Master and Commander, Far Side of the World. Richard is busy. Stop disturbing me then. <laughs> he tells me classical music is off the rails because it's not part of everyday life for the general public. Why is it not? And what do we even mean by classical music? Are we talking about J.S. Bach or Iannis Xenakis? And what are the things in art that connect those two composers at the end of the day? Those two composers from a very different era and geography. I'm seeking out answers to these questions from Richard the Polymath, and along the way we'll find out what's been keeping him busy lately, whether it is chasing Jimmy Barnes's voice or ruminating on the structure in music in general, or even just finding the right note. We somehow always end up going back to bar. I am Satu from upstairs, presenting you. Richard is always busy downstairs. Hi, Richard. Hello, Satu. You're disturbing. How are you going downstairs? How are you upstairs? You've obviously got a lot of time on your hands. I mean, it, it's about the context, isn't it? In what context did I say it was off the rails? Maybe it's meant to be off the rails. Then I, I asked you exactly that, and then you said it's because it's not part of life for the general public. But if you ask the general public, usually they say, oh, it's just like out of horror movie. Or the other reference is car commercial. So either we are in the world of horror with Penderecki, Zanarkis, sometimes um, Morton Feldman, Brett Dean. And these are all 20th and 21st century composers. And the list goes on. Or we're in the realm of anodyne vanilla car commercials. Or we have the really bad guys in movies who always listen to Mozart. Yeah, like? Hannibal Lecter. Um, Silence, of the, <laughs> Silence of the Lambs, of course. I think he was listening to Bach. Mm-hmm. 
you wanted to talk about Morton Feldman, why do you go to something like this particular piece, which is from his Rothko Chapel, the viola one? And you talked about it, it being something from his childhood, maybe? Yeah, so it's, if I remember correctly, it's it's a melody, melodic fragment that he had um, lived with since he was a kid. Mm. And it's, in a way for me, the, the heart and soul of, of this extraordinary long, long work. And I think it's because it's such an exquisitely childlike motive that it touches you like nothing else whereas a lot of the other music that is um, featuring in the Rothko Chapel from 1971 is it sounds like it's from well the opposite to being a child it sounds like it's from aliens contemporary music that you've got to earn your space a lot of classical music isn't about the melody is it sure no. Tchaikovsky is and sometimes Mozart is it's actually about the motive and but isn't all music about the motive isn't no, it all no, about I think I think you can get um, a great pop song that just works because of the brilliant melody and I, yeah, I think a lot of the true. Beatles you know it's over before you can even develop it Norwegian wood, for example. It's just an extraordinarily good, strong melody. And actually, if you start developing it, the music would break down. And that's why, mm. you know, you, you're left with your three-minute stretch because then you've got to either develop it or bring something else in. And that's why Pink Floyd, of course, ends up developing motives. But this, this is typical of really good composers. So if you just hang on the straps of your dissonance and you don't have those moments of lightness or those moments of ineffably exquisite, shall we say, instead of beautiful, exquisite, childlike, melodic fragments, the audience will just think of your music as being confronting and nightmarish and music that belongs in Horophon. Zanakis, Shar, S-H-A-A-R. The ACO performed Shah in our subscription tour maybe a decade ago. And it's this relentless barrage of extraordinarily dissonant, well, they're clusters, so they're extraordinarily dissonant. Mm. And they're so confronting to the point that one 
listener said, I felt like my I was being skin was exfoliated. It was the best description. <laughs> but about three quarters of the way through, which is you know the the place where all things should meet in the golden mean, you know, in the the great sectioning of of structure, is about three just after three quarters of the way through. Mm. You find this again. He goes back to his roots, and it sounds like you, one would imagine he's in touch with his ancient Greek origins. And this, again, ineffably, I wouldn't say it's exquisite like the Morton Feldman, but it's really simple and childlike and affecting. And the fact it belongs in that extraordinary dissonance makes it even more powerful. And it's not ironic, is it? That's no, the amazing thing. The Same with Feldman. No. Because in today's world, whenever we want to bring something beautiful or something, it's often been read as something ironic and not really serious. And we're sort of slightly ashamedly doing it. And, and this is, I guess, Like that's where... why people use the waltz. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's ironic. And, of course, Shostakovich and Schnitke were the great dudes in irony. Soviet composer dudes. But that's maybe because they had to dissemble, they had to hide something. And if that is the case, then you could argue, yeah. Well, yeah, it wasn't hiding, a fashion statement. No, what we're hiding is our, <laughs> is our embarrassment at, yeah. at using something pop, using mm. something childlike. But the best music has it, name an exception. Um, and, of course, Shostakovich, he has it. He's got the most exquisite childlike melodies often that are really touching. But the use of the waltz or something like this, yeah, is irony. This is Richard is busy. The music that you write is quite, um, you explain it. Well, I'd rather other people try to explain it, but look, often it's occasional music, as in for an occasion in films. And so I'm given a task right in the key of angst, right in the key of happiness, right in the key of a certain emotion, which is a difficult thing to do. And 
I often wish I was just writing in the key of whatever I'm trying to feel or express. But with it comes an incredible amount of responsibility and discipline. And But I don't even call myself a composer. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know why, because I should, and I seem to spend a lot of time doing it. But oftentimes I'm, in, I'm an arranger or a, even a rearranger. If I could write whatever I wanted, I'm, I'm not actually even sure what would come out. Um, because, you know, there's a lot, lot of skerricks in my music that have created something that belies the gestation. And that's because I was forced to write with a gun at my head some, you know, copy of some rather what we call cheap saccharine sort of piano sort of style music. But out of that came, you know, some good harmonic sequences. Did you make a lot of money from it at least? No, I didn't. I didn't. Oh. I'm still waiting. <laughs> when you really start thinking about it, come on, Bach was, look, I'm not comparing you to Bach. Don't, don't <laughs> worry. But um, he was also writing music because it was being asked from him. Yeah. It wasn't like he was sitting there in his room thinking if he gets an inspiration and if he's going to write in G minor or... Every week he had to write that damn, can that damn cantata. Yeah, he had a deadline every week. Look, he had a deadline every week, but there were many pieces that were written and we're not exactly sure why. Mozart, the same thing. He wrote to commission, on commission, or for commission, I should say. But, but then the greatest of Mozart's instrumental music, those last three symphonies, and there's still conjecture about whether he wrote them due to a commission, yeah. as a result of a commission, or he wrote them as, without the ink going dry from first symphony to last symphony just because it came flowing out. It, it sort of doesn't matter, it still came flowing out of him. Yeah. So whether he was writing because some patron put in a, a request or because he wanted to, still the extraordinary quality came pouring out of him and it's, and it's always Mozart. You know, is Eine Kleine Nacht music a lesser piece because it was commissioned? I don't think so. You know, the B-flat divertimento, which which goes for, what, 50 minutes or something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of Mozart, which we, we really should play, is written commissioned music. And, mm. and it's meant to be, you know, große Nachtmusik. No, and a kleine Nachtmusik. Große Nachtmusik. That sounds yeah. like some kind of a rave yeah. party yeah. in Düsseldorf. Yeah, but I, I mean, it was written for, you know, patrons, you know, Salzburg yeah. aristocracy, and it was written for some, you know, birthday or name day or something. And, and, and you know, I remember playing it once, and it, it's six movements long, and major form, you know, movements too. I mean, they're at least one major sonata, if not oh. two um, major sonata 
um, form movements in there. There are rondos, there are slow movements, a number of slow movements, you know, major theme and variations. And it goes for 50 minutes. And it, and it was probably written knowing that they were just going to be talking the whole way through it. So I know your music is really short, all the songs that you do, you're very, you, you know, and I like to call them songs because everything's called songs these days, you know, you go to Spotify, it's a song. Yeah, Beethoven 9 is a song, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do want to ask you, what are people meant to be thinking about 50-minute piece of um, serenade in, in 2020? Mm. Well, especially during this pandemic it's hard to capture an audience i mean we can present 50 minute pieces work songs 50 minute songs in concerts because we've you know people have paid a fair bit of money to get us on the stage and then we have a captive audience for two you know asymmetrical halves of a concert so we can go between 35 minutes to 50 minutes that's one half anything less anything more is sort of unacceptable and so therefore we do have a captive audience. So we could choose to play, the, you know, the, this divertimento I was talking about, the B-flat divertimento of, of Mozart, K287. But, you know, we don't. We, we normally choose to play smaller works, don't we, and somehow mix and match, so to speak. Mm. Uh, and it's that juxtaposition, mm -hmm. don't we hate that word. Do you think that's a modern thing, that we like to mix and match pieces from different musical eras in order to contextualize them in our contemporary listening experience it's a postmodern thing it's a postmodern thing yeah that we started to, so what's the post postmodern oh, thing well the post postmodern thing post postmodern thing is going on your spotify saying song oh, no, eh, but, but that's enough next one the, eh. these two issues you see because on the one hand you've got performance the performative aspect then on the that's it. The, yeah well exactly. i forgot about so those a post Post postmodernist is going to be a, the P in is the post pandemic concert, you know, because we're already looking at well with social distancing, do we just put on concerts that go for twenty minutes? Hold on, if a whole concert is twenty minutes, what's going to happen to the institution of a twenty minute interval? Hello, there will be an interval of uh, eighteen and a half minutes. It's the last night of the tour, so we've reduced all the t-shirts from 4 to 3.50 and the hooded sweatshirts from 8 pounds to 4 pounds. Nothing sporting yet, is it? That was back in the better days. You know, the, the thing is that you, you've got to deal with, you're dealing with structure with our in our uh, line of work, Satu. Mm -hmm. And the structure is more important often than the content. So when you're dealing with EDM, you're dealing with, um, you know, the bass and rhythm and something really catchy and really short. And it's actually pre-melodic 
with EDM, I reckon. Like you don't even want a fully worked out melody. That's all I want. Because it'll break down that sort of ADD And you don't want to start thinking too much. It's something you just want to feel in your Yeah, it enters through your ass into the same area that we all respond to music somewhere in your your gut, Mm. solar plexus, wherever it is. But for that kind of music, it enters. What did you say, solar plex? It enters through your through oh. your asshole. And yeah. Thank you for clarifying that, Richard. Yeah, I know why you're so busy down there. <laughs> whereas classical enters through your um, you know, through your um, upper nostrils. Your yeah, upper nostrils. <laughs> 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 yeah. But it does all go to the, the solar plexus. For sure. You know, you feel it there. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't get there, fuck off. And that's why a lot of classical music is off the rail. Now, I just want to talk to you about a song of yours that you wanted to bring up as an example of something that you've written called Flying from the film Mountain. This crazy, insane Scottish cyclist throws himself off this cliff and and then releases a parachute. That's when you start seeing this song. Danny McCaskill, and he he's regarded as you know the greatest uh, um, trial cyclist. How you know, many are there really? Cyclist. I think there are um, a lot now because um, of all the mm-hmm. mountain biking, and and as far as you know the early days of the internet, he was the the greatest legend. But isn't it interesting with certain songs? And I don't have. Perfect mm-hmm. pitch. I mean, far from it. I, I've always got a thing. But yum, yum. Right. Uh, exactly. So. And it's kind of terrifying, isn't it? Even though it's it's not exactly dissonant music, it's very consonant uh, and it comes out of a drone. But it's the terror of picking that high note that maybe creates, adds to the anxiety of, Danny McCaskill or whoever it is, I think it's him, throwing himself off, mm. this, off this cliff. Um, Can I just add to that? The anxiety, I'm sure, was <laughs> not for yeah. Danny McCaskill's anxiety probably wasn't as much as, as my anxiety. I had The first time I ever sang it live was in the Sydney Opera House. It was packed and it was the first that was, time that we that was, I, I was I was worried, but I'm an idiot singer. <laughs> I don't really know what I'm doing, so I, I don't even know how to get really nervous enough. Well, we don't know how we sing. I mean, at least we know roughly, you, you know very clearly where a is on a piano or frets of a guitar and then roughly you know third position on a violin whereas how do we know that bum, bum, like what tells us you know i brain know that's to make that's, our vocal cords go into a state of tension in order to shoot out at g at 440 dun. 
By 440, he means that the note A has 440 vibrations per second, which is now regarded the standard pitch in Western music, and it has been like this since the late 19th century. But before that, hmm, that's where this talk gets a little geeky. Da, da. G at 415 is da. Uh, well, I don't know da, da. what G <laughs> mine was. But. Well, but let's go back to, um, yeah, well, let's go back to Bach. So Bach had no perfect pitch because there wasn't such a thing mm -hmm. as a G at dawn and 440, excuse my intonation, but roughly speaking, right? Dun. Wait, um, this is a time for the bell again. D bell. La. D. La. And these are G. This sort of flat D, isn't it? Beautiful, Richard. My heart is really melting now. Yes, yes, yes. Well, why don't you sing no, it? No, I use. We'll put it. We'll put the sing recording it. on okay. at this point. Okay, move on. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so. So it's all, you know, consonant. And then, of course, we go to that C, which creates a, a little bit of angst and melancholy. Um, but Bach, um, this is really interesting, that Bach had no perfect pitch in the sense that he wasn't, you know, singing a G and a G only belonged to the dun, whatever it is, you know, 198, you know, vibrations per, per second or whatever it is. And an A was 440. No, he, he went from an A, because we always measure things either A's or C's for some reason, but an A vibrating at 440. An A vibrated at the 392 vibrations a second, all the way up to something like 450. So for him, it was roughly a, a minor third mm. difference between the various A's. Mm. Which, which is an interesting It is thing. something of these things that have historically changed the way how we are treating music mm. and how we're hearing music. People used to be a lot more mm. sensitive also back in the day to the chordal changes and the feeling of different keys. Well, so they say that... I like to believe that they were. Well, I mean, this Don't is the weird my thing. But I used to believe it too, and I remember an early music expert, you know, telling me the B-flat was the key that was sumptuous. And, of course, we know that E major is a key of, in Bach, he used it as a key of nobility. But the thing is that a key, um, if you use E major in the tuning mm -hmm. of 440 and then you use it in the key of 415, yeah. you've got, suddenly you've got E-flat mm -hmm. major, but somehow it's still E major. I know this is a bit geeky for the... This is a general public program, sort of, Richard, so you really... Yeah, but, but it is interesting because, you know, we talk about, oh, that's in the... Well, look at... Um, we're getting so... We've got too many dishes spinning in the air. Yes, we do. But the thing is that the keys are, you know, the, the key of C or the key of this or the key of that. You started this, by the way. I wasn't going to getting so excited about all of this. What was your connection between flying and Bach? <laughs> uh, the connection with flying and bark, I think, was just oh. damn picking, oh, a, picking note a note. Thinking, I'm thinking that that's a G.
what is a song that you're thinking about right now? Other than the Feldman, okay, yeah. you have to pick three. Songs of mine or songs that I'm working on? So or songs anything. I'm just thinking about. There's a fantastic song that I've been charged with the responsibility, oh, Satu, wow. um, of arranging a song by Don Walker. Who is? Who's the keyboardist and songwriter. He wrote a song for Slim Dusty, no less, called Looking Forward and Looking Back. It's a long way down the track. Got a long way left to go Making songs <laughs> oh, Beautiful, Richard. Uh, yeah, right. Well, it's, it's a an beautiful Australian song, song. And beautifully sung by mm-hmm. Slim Dusty. It's written by Don Walker, and he's the songwriter and, and keyboardist from Cold Chisel. Cold Chisel. Here we go. There goes the yeah, bell again. Cold Chisel. And now play a bit of Cold Chisel. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday night. Saturday night. Yeah, and you're going to sing that, and Jimmy really? Barnes, who's a good friend, has agreed to sing. Has he? Anyway, I'm, 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 so Don Walker has written a, a song recently, like I think maybe even last year, called Killing Time and Wait Until You Hear It. It's Is it really the song powerful. about killing time or like killing time? I have, I have no I think it's about, it's about killing time. <laughs> killing, comma, Time, question mark, who knows? But like all great songs, you're not sure what it's about. But it's really powerful and Jimmy, see, it's, his voice is, it, I don't know how he sings. If I try to sing like that. Richard, ow, you're not you're embarrassing the, yourself. The, the interview, don't do that. The interview, the interview can't continue because <laughs> I just tried to sing like Jimmy Bass. But, hey, if oh, you I've have to. to I know you're busy. Go. I know you're busy, but tell me what no, instrument. I'm going to go because my vocal cords are so damaged. And the no, other no, no, two quickly. Songs, but what instrument yeah. would you mm. put Jimmy Barnes's <laughs> voice on? Mm. Soprano sax with a salt <laughs> ponticello. Kind of. Perfect. <laughs> And the other two songs, quickly. We've got about two minutes until you're busy again. Okay. Okay, the other two songs I'm, I'm working on, Joe Bonamassa, I'm writing it large orchestral arrangements, um, riffing on Joe Bonamassa, who's one of the top blues guitarists. Yeah, so there you go. One's called Drive and the other is called Slow, as in S-L-O-E. They give me one song that's not in front of you right now that you would be like to do. Okay, so I'm, I'm working on um, a song that I wrote years and years ago that started off being called The Dream and then became A Pensanteur, which is a beautiful... You speak French? Um, French. Je And um, it's a... It's a mon, um, s'appelle um, uh, A Pensanteur and... It means uh, weightlessness and it's a song about suicide where you accept that drowning is the most exquisite thing 
And so I'm re-looking at this with um, a fellow called Andy Page, who's a, he worked in the Hans Zimmer studio for six years. But he works in, you know, with computer music, electronic music. So it's, it's my, exactly the person I've been looking That's for. That's fantastic. So you've got someone to help you with your 21st century problems. with, And the 21st well, century music-making, you know, challenges are very different to what they were, oh, I don't know, well, it's all about technology, wasn't it? Bach was working with um, different instruments and different technology with the organs and all that going on. Well, what's really interesting about, about Bach is that, of course, he embraced technology. He had organs, and if, if someone had... It turned up and said, look, here's electricity and I'll plug it in. You don't need to pay those horrid little boys to, you know, pump. Because um, they had to in, employ choir boys to to get air through mm. those massive beasts, you know, the, mm. the, the, the church organs. Yeah, um, can you imagine? You've got your shift going it, on now. You've got to pipe exactly. some air into the bass organ. Hey, we turn over now. Two other boys well, come here now. Exactly. You want to earn a two cents? <laughs> gives a different meaning to passing air, and yeah. and and but imagine if someone turned up and said, "Look, listen, mate, it's called a generator. I'm from Australia, and I've got this thing called a generator, and it, it, and and it it's quiet, it's silent, and and it can run, you know, for days. So, of course, he would have embraced. Of course, he would have embraced technology. To bring us back to the question at the start of this episode. So what are the things that would connect J.S. Bach and Zenakis? In a very sort of, you know, simple terms, oh, what are really the simple. things in art yeah. that connect those, those two composers together? Oh, yeah, architecture and structure. And um, you've got to remember that the Zenakis, Ianis Zenakis, one of the great composers, but one of the less lesser listened to composers of the of the 20th century he, he was an architect you know and and working at the you know upper levels of of architecture and he was also a ma mathematician now Bach wasn't a ma mathematician but of course he easily could have turned his eye and mind to to mathematics I don't think there's much of an ear in mathematics but but certainly the, they're the things which which connect Bach and, and okay, you've answered my question then from the beginning. Okay. That's enough. Thank you, Richard. So yeah. what are you going to be busy with now? Well, I'm probably just going to go back to rearranging or arranging these songs because, of course, I'm on a, you know, some uh, deadline here. And, and also, let's be lofty here. You, you know, the, what am I going to get back to? Well, it's not performing, is it? For as far as we can see, we're still getting no sign from governments. Let's mark this date, 9th of July at 2211 mm -hmm. and in 2020, and, and we're still looking like it's a while yeah. away. So, yeah. yeah. Hey, well, good to talk to you, Richard. Yeah, nice to talk to you. I hope to see How you How is the temperature sometime. down there? It's a bit chilly, I have to say, because the person who runs this household likes to turn the heaters off. <laughs> well, well, I'm wearing a nice warm jacket up here, so okay. you can borrow it sometime. Okay, Satu. Have a good night, Richard. And you too. All the best. Yeah. See you around. Bye -bye. All the best.
Bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. I'm Satu from upstairs, and join us next time on Richard is busy.